Pastor Ed Taylor urging us to draw attention to Christ rather than ourselves. You and I, we need to be very, very careful not to draw attention to ourselves or to think in some way that the glorious use of God in our lives has anything to do with us. To, that even when glory may come your way, even when appreciation may be given to you, even when there might be, because you know how it is, guys. You know what it's like as human beings. Humans tend to elevate humans, especially in the church of Jesus Christ. There can be that temptation to elevate the instrument far higher than the hand in which the instrument is in, in the church. This is amazing grace. friend, glad you could make it today as we get right back into 1 Corinthians with Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. We're just about to open chapter 2 and receive an awesome model for ministry. Whether you're preaching the Word behind the pulpit, leading a small group Bible study, or directing traffic in the church parking lot, it's important to realize we're not to draw attention to ourselves. All the glory and honor is to go to God as we serve Him. That was something the Apostle Paul understood very well. Here's Pastor Ed with more. You remember in the church in Corinth, everything was chaotic. Tough times had come because not too long after Paul left Corinth, all chaos broke loose. All sorts of spiritual issues, all sorts of things were happening there. And what Paul is doing is bringing them back to basics. And there's always a season in your life and in mine where we need to be brought back to basics. That things can get too complicated. Things can get too layered in our relationship with Jesus. And we have to stop and just ask the Lord for a basic understanding of that basic faith that we have in Him. And for the church then and for us from time to time, it could be even you right now, it's time to get back to basics. And the correction and direction that Paul the Apostle will give to the church in Corinth won't be anything surprising. It won't be anything that would catch them off guard. He tells them in chapter 1, hey, remember who saved you. Remember who baptized you. Remember who called you. Remember the work of God in your life. Remember the simplicity of the message. Remember how offensive it was in its simplicity. And yet it's the power of God for those that believe unto salvation. We have short memories from time to time spiritually where we just don't remember the things we need to remember in our spiritual life. And that's where the church in Corinth needed to go. You would expect with all the things going on that, that Paul would write some heavy doctrinal letter, but he didn't write it to the church in Corinth. He wrote that letter to the church in Rome, to a church that was doing well but needed to be established. For the church in Corinth, it was very practical. Oh, don't misunderstand. There's doctrine. There's depth. But it was very practical. So that when he says in verse 1, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with the excellence of speech, or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. 
It's helpful sometimes to understand the timing of when the letters are written. And maybe as Paul is writing this letter to Corinth, he has the whole time period that he was there. And maybe Athens was on his mind. Remember Athens? It was where Paul went up to the Areopagus and he began to teach and dialogue and, and jump in philosophically on Mars Hill there. And, and as he was sharing in the words that he was giving, there wasn't a lot of fruit there in salvation. There was a little, but not a lot. And he attempted to jump into their world. He walked through, and you'll, we'll get there eventually on a weekend in, in the book of Acts as he walks through, and he sees a God for every emotion, for every situation, and he uses an opportunity to build a bridge, which is always a great idea to connect and demonstrate that you care about someone as you're sharing with them. And he builds a bridge, and he says, hey, you know, I, I saw one of your idols. It was to the unknown God. How about I describe that unknown God to you? And he went in and shared some tremendous truths. But at the end of Acts chapter 17, it says, When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, We'll hear you again on this matter. And so Paul departed from them, and then some men joined him. And there wasn't a tremendous amount of fruit. And you know, Paul, he mentions the resurrection there on Mars Hills, but he never really laid out the life and the death of Jesus Christ. And the resurrection is so vital to the gospel, but the resurrection really doesn't speak loudly unless you understand what Jesus did for you in his life. God in human flesh condescending to your level and mine and living among us, God who dwelt with us. And Paul really never touched on that. But in his next stop in Corinth, it was an important part of his ministry. And that's what he says here. He says, don't you guys remember when I came? I didn't come to you with flowery speech, what they expected, I didn't come to you with the philosophies of men, which they expected. I didn't come to you to try to influ influence you and impress you with the wisdom when I declared to you the testimony of God. And notice he had a determination in verse 2, to know, not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He changed his ministry to adapt to what God was teaching him. And when he comes to Corinth from Athens, he's determined to know nothing. Maybe there was a little bit of pride, as I can relate as a human, and sure you can, where some of the people around you that you're sharing the gospel with are so smart that they intimidate you. It's just a simple message, just the gospel. You know, Jesus loves you. And then you get some answer in some big textbook of how that could have never happened. And I watched this on the Science Channel, and I watched this over here, and I have a master's doctorate, and, and you just feel so intimidated. And it's times like that where, in verse 2, we just have to determine to know nothing among them except Jesus and him crucified. That's enough. It's enough what Jesus has done. And so Paul comes to the church in Corinth, not with worldly wisdom. He wanted them to remember that. His ministry at this point emphasized the cross, the preaching of the cross, the power of God. And instead of Paul being the focal point, instead of drawing attention to himself, it says in verse 3 that he was there in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. Of all the things that that describes, you know what it describes to me? A broken man. A man that doesn't really care he doesn't really have that fear of man. He's not really trying to impress. He's broken. Just that verse, verse 3, really doesn't describe many ministries today, many servants. 
And if we're not careful and we don't walk in that weakness and that trembling and that fear of God and that humility that he offers to us and that he requires from us, it will come. Because this is the pattern, this is the model for ministry and powerful, effective ministry. On Mars Hill, just, just before Corinth, not many, not many salvations. In Corinth, a church was planted from the message of the cross. And yet when Paul comes, he says, don't remember what authority I have and don't remember. Remember me, I was in weakness. Remember me, I was in fear. Remember me, I was in much trembling. And verse 4, my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I mean, not only did he look weak, he sounded weak too. Not only was he not impressive physically, but his words weren't too impressive to the wise of the day. Just like he said in chapter 1, not many wise, not many noble have been chosen. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world. And so here is a foolish man serving the Lord with all of his heart, not, impressing, not very impressive on the outside. I love what Paul does here because it becomes a model for those of you that are in ministry. Those of you that have a calling of God upon your life, those of you that, that have the opportunity to influence in any way, this is a great model for ministry. And that is, as Paul is rehearsing his visit to Corinth and his ministry there, and he's recalling and bringing them to remembrance, he wants them to remember that his ministry didn't draw attention to himself. Very, very important. That the person that God has the person that God has placed in a position of influence in his church, the person that God has given opportunity to affect many, the person that speaks on behalf of God, you and I, we need to be very, very careful not to draw attention to ourselves or to think in some way that the glorious use of God in our lives has anything to do with us. To, that even when glory may come your way, even when appreciation may be given to you, even when there might be, because you know how it is, guys. You know what it's like as human beings. Humans tend to elevate humans, especially in the church of Jesus Christ. There can be that temptation to elevate the instrument far higher than the hand in which the instrument is in, in the church. Celebrities have been developed. Ministries have been designed around the personality of a man or a woman. And it just flies in the face of the ministry that's blessed by the Lord. He doesn't draw any attention. There is that tendency for us to elevate a man or a ministry, to make him or her the main focal point in our relationship with the Lord. And it's just something we need to guard ourselves against. It is true that God uses human beings to bless human beings. That's for sure. And we all have pastors in our lives or someone that came alongside to mentor or disciple us that we greatly appreciate. That's not of which I speak. There's a fine line for greatly appreciating and, and propping up on a pedestal. There's a fine line for saying, you know, that brother's ministry, that sister's ministry is so precious to me. It, is in, it has marked my life indelibly until eternity. And it's a whole other thing to place pastors and leaders and those that God has put into our lives in discipleship on a level that equal to or above God. And for those of you that maybe in the back of your mind, oh, I would never do that. 
You certainly could. Here, somewhere else. And for those that are being propped up or have the potential of propped up, just people are saying all those flowery words about you and people are just, don't, just don't believe them. It's not true. You know you. You know what God's doing in your life. It's just not true. And one of the balances that God added into my life in the ministry is, is not only giving me someone in my life who will speak the truth, my wife, if I have anything, you know, yeah, what? What are you clapping at? <laughs> not only has God put people in my life, not only my wife, but others, that if, if my head ever does get too big, I, she just, just a little pinprick, bam. Dude, don't you remember where you came from? <sighs> yeah, I do. But at the same time, God also has provided a way for me to remember. I think it was Billy Graham as he was being interviewed. He was asked about how was it that he was able to, to maintain a ministry of integrity and not let it get to his head? How could he deal? I believe the question was along the lines of how could he deal with all the criticisms of ministry and all the people that were upset with him and all the, the articles are being written right now and these days, all the websites and everything. How do you deal with it? And, and his answer was very simple. He said, if I don't take the applause of men, I don't receive the applause of men, then I also don't need to take the criticism. My life is unto the Lord. I live unto Jesus Christ. I stand or fall before him. And it's a balanced life. We've always been taught here at Calvary Chapel not to read our own press clippings. It's true. Certainly, God's used you greatly, then rejoice in the Lord. God has enlarged your capacity of ministry. Yes, rejoice in the Lord. You're now influencing multiple people, not just one or two, but you got five or six or ten or twenty, or even for the sake of those that might be listening on the radio, you pastors, you got churches of thousands. Don't let it get to your head. The sheep belong to Jesus. They're his sheep, and we're under shepherds. And if you're dealing with this area in your life, I determine to know nothing among you but Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I'll put everything back into perspective for you that we serve for the applause of heaven, not for the applause of man. We serve for the, the, the satisfaction of knowing that our lives are right with the Lord. And even though God will use us in each other's lives, we need to be careful. God, the Bible says in Isaiah 43, I believe that he'll share his glory with no man, no one. And when the ministry was powerful among the Corinthians, it was in the end of verse 4, it was in that demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Sometimes people will walk you through this verse when they, when they see this verse, they'll, they'll take it and say, this is what we need in the church. We need the demonstration of the Spirit of God and power. And, and usually those that might come to this mean something like, it needs to be crazy in that sanctuary. You can't just worship with a guitar in a box. It needs to be loud and crazy, and people need to be hanging by the ceiling and gold dust falling. We need to see the Spirit, man. And you're like, whoa, yeah, you're right. You know, I, man, I just sang to Jesus. I was feeling pretty good with the box, and now I'm all messed up, man. Box. I, I didn't know I couldn't worship with the box and gold dust. That's a church I want to go to, man. I'll bring a cup. I want to fill it up with gold. You know, you can send it in in that commercial. They'll buy it off of you. You can send it in. And, man, that sounds like a deal. But context is king when you read the scriptures. You know that? 
that there's a context of what he's saying. He's not talking about some service that might be perceived as out of control. As a matter of fact, that's what the problem was in Corinth. They were out of control. They weren't in decency or in order, and it, and it was messing up everybody and not ministering to those that were coming in that were new and to the lost. It was all about the church, and they were all hyped up, and they were saying, hey, I remember when I was there in the demonstration in power, the context was in what he shared with them and in his life. That was the demonstration of the Spirit and power. A humble man with a simple message, and lives were changed. It wasn't any hyped-up service. It was just a guy that was weak, trembling, and all fear and messed up and, and kind of processing what the failure might have been in his heart, you know, that in Athens. And the demonstration of the Spirit was that the man was almost invisible there as he gave the Word of God. That's what this verse is. Just in case any of your friends might come up and go, hey, what do you do? Well, we worship with a box. You can't do that. No, no, you can't worship with a box. You can't. It's right here. Demonstration of the Spirit. Just the simplicity. You can worship in a variety of different ways, but sometimes people will lay a trip on you that it has to be more. It really just needs to be Jesus. And there isn't anything more than Jesus. Nothing to add to your relationship with Jesus. And when you're reading the Bible, always remember the beginning and right where the scripture is and before and after because that's what gives you context that's what helps to explain what the verse really means because it would be real easy to take verses out of context you have people coming to your doorstep all the time that have all sorts of non-contextual type of verses and they might even stumble you a little bit but if you just stop them on one verse and say you know what that doesn't say that they really don't have an answer but well, what about this verse over you know that doesn't say that either and what about this one over here? How many do you need to know that not, none of your verses really mean what you're saying? Somebody just taught you that. Would you be open for me to teach you? And you can just minister right on your doorstep. Uh, no, I don't think I want to be taught by you. I'm not allowed to talk to you. But you came to my door, man. Let's talk about Jesus. And then they begin to talk about Jesus, and then you have to ask them, what Jesus are you talking about? Because that's not the one of the Bible. And you begin to love. They're just, most of them are just kids, you know. Fresh out of high school doing their legalistic obligation to go rip souls off door to door. And in love and demonstration of power or demonstration of the Spirit and in power, your doorstep becomes an evangelism opportunity. We have classes that Pastor Robbie does to equip you, to help you, even just loving people that come to your door. And being able to be equipped when you learn the Bible. Because the Holy Spirit wants you to understand it. Verse 6 now, notice. However, we speak wisdom. So now he's demonstrating, you know, kind of sharing where it is. He says, however, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those that love him. So Paul didn't put much credibility in the wisdom of this world. How much credibility do you put in the wisdom of this world? Because Paul didn't. And you know what? History backs the brother up. Because the wisdom of this world has come to nothing. The wisdom of evolution, nothing. The wisdom of financial markets and how money, nothing. The wisdom of this world as it relates to all sorts of things. The wisdom of this world, how to fix a person, come to nothing. 
The wisdom of the world, how to help a person, comes to nothing. I mean, for simple proof of this, I think we all can relate to this, because simple proof, something that you might have believed in very strongly 10 years ago, some worldly thing you might have picked up, and I don't even mean sinful, I just mean something the world, you know, some TV show you watch, you bought into it, and, and it kind of became a part of you now, and, and it became a topic that you talked about, and then 10 years later, it's untrue, and it's proven to untrue, and what do you have to do with it? Dismiss it. It's not true. That's what the evolutionist does. Every time they're disproved, they just add another gajillion years. And, of course, something could happen in a gajillion years. So, you know, every time it's disproved and some bone is found out to be a mouse or something and not some dinosaur or some weird missing link kind of thing that's got to fit their projection, got to fit what they have drawn. What gotta, every time it's disproved, they just add another, you know, whatever, gajillion years. And, oh, I know, I know, that, we, we missed up on that one. But if, in another gajillion years, we'll figure it out. No, the wisdom of this world has come to nothing. With a simple truth, in the beginning, God created. That stood the test of time. Hasn't been disproved. Truly, every time something is dug up or found, it only substantiates Genesis 1-1. You know the significance of Genesis 1-1? Is that if you have a hard time believing Genesis 1-1, and you've allowed the worldly wisdom of, of the world in which most of us were educated in and most of us uh, uh, receive. I mean, you, can, you can't even watch a cartoon these days. You know, a cartoon movie that doesn't include evolution in it. It's just like, oh, yeah, just, uh, you know, this was here gajillions of years ago or, or to a museum or whatever. Whatever it is, it's so, that worldly wisdom has so inundated our world that it might even become your worldview. But I'll tell you, if you have a hard time with Genesis 1-1, you're going to have a hard time with the rest of the Bible. But you know, if you can accept the truth that God created, then the rest of the Bible is going to be just fine for you. The power of the Word. Hey, thanks for listening to Abounding Grace as we're traveling verse by verse through 1 Corinthians with Pastor Ed Taylor. If you'd like to hear this message again, go online at calvaryaurora.org. And another way to listen to Ed's teachings is through the Calvary Aurora and Grace FM Colorado apps. Search for Calvary Aurora in the App Store or Google Play. It's free, too. We've picked out a wonderful book by A.W. Tozer this month that we think you'll benefit from. It's The Pursuit of God. God wants to have an intimate relationship with us, and it's something every believer can experience, not just a select few. In this book, Tozer uses examples from Scripture and from the lives of Christians who have lived with a thirst for God to show us the path to a closer walk with the Lord. When you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, ask for a copy of The Pursuit of God. Give us a call at 877-30-GRACE or make your request and donation online at calvaryaurora.org. That number again is 877-30-GRACE. With Good Friday and Easter right around the corner, we want to take a minute to fill you in on what's happening here at Calvary Aurora. Pastor Ed joins me now with all the details. Yeah, Larry, it's an exciting week. You know, we are so encouraged to know that many people will be out this weekend to worship God. Uh, you know, attention is drawn to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the churches are filled. We all have to add services, you know, to make room. So everything starts this Friday at noon with our Good Friday service. And then we have a ticketed event. It's our annual Passover Seder dinner. And tickets are available. You have to call the church to find out the availability because this sells out very fast. 
And the cost basically covers all the materials that's needed. And then Saturday night, we have two services, 4 and 6 p.m. Sunday, we have a, our modified sunrise service. We do it indoors at the church at 645 and then 845 and 1045. We're looking forward to looking at what great things God has done. And what is the greatest thing that God has done but the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So come on out, starting this Friday at noon, and then Saturday night, we're gonna, all the services will be the same Saturday night and Sunday, 4 o'clock and 6 o'clock p.m. on Saturday night. Sunday morning, 8.45 and 10.45. All the information is available at calvaryco.church, calvaryco.church, or you can use calvaryaurora.org. Either one's gonna get you to the place where you need to find directions, and you could call us with any questions. We hope you can be with us either in person or through our live webcast. That can be viewed online at calvaryaurora.org. And then be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor next time for more teaching from the Word of God. That's right here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado. 